So we're going to start with a deep cut. So deep that there are only snippets of music on YouTube and Vimeo. But it's a piece that is so on the nose for the theme of res- resurrection. We just had to cover it. The song is called, well, it's actually an entire dance piece called Like Lazarus Did. And it's a dance piece that was written for the Stephen Petrioni Company, a New York City-based dance company. Lazarus, as you may know, was resurrected from the dead by Jesus. The story of Lazarus' resurrection is recounted in John chapter 11, verse 43 and 44. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Just crazy story. Uh, So how does resurrection come through in the music and the dance of Like Lazarus did? Here's how Stephen Tronio views it. Also the relationship between the dancers and, and me. Are they resurrecting my spirit or am I empowering their spirit? Or are they, do they have control of me because they own the work in their bodies and it can't happen without them? I think that whole relationship, which is, you know, plays out in the Jesus-Lazarus relationship, I thought was kind of interesting. That's fascinating. So there's really this sort of relationship between the dancers and the choreographer in expressing resurrection. And I'm assuming that the music also plays on that theme? Yes, a lot of Sunlux's score is based around American slave songs from the 1800s, which, which Stephen said in an interview with Huffington Post. Quote, I was so inspired by the sense of faith, as well as the elevation above the conditions under which they were living. It made me think about various forms of leaving the body for a heightened state, and it seemed like a beautiful meditation. I was completely moved by the power of the slave songs and the concept of the afterlife. I'm interested in that state of being, free from pain. Every culture has a reincarnation or a regeneration story. From pagan cultures to Eastern cultures, there is a regeneration and rebirth story from the phoenix rising to sleeping beauty, awakening, and being transformed. It's all over the place, so there is a strong belief and a strong urge to have a place that is free, unquote. So resurrection in Like Lazarus Did Then is about being free. Exactly, Monica. And one line from the score states, quote, I want to die like Lazarus did, unquote, which I interpret as meaning that because of Lazarus' close relationship with Jesus, his death was not the end for him as he was raised back to life. To be free from death, there is no more ultimate freedom than that. Let's hear how Sun Lux treats this musically and lyrically.
So you have these references to being pulled out of chains, a mother's tears, and that only Jesus hears pain and suffering. This is set against chords that eventually resolve to a joyful place. So that's one portion of the score. And the final portion, it is this acapella lullaby with multiple voices accompanying Ryan, where resurrection is presented as being hushed to sleep like a baby. So this song really takes you through a journey. Yeah, definitely. It takes you through this amazing journey and you feel just at home and at peace at the end of the song. So where where it ties into resurrection is when in the background, Mellow Voices asks, and here are the lyrics, should I look among the living? Should I look among the dead? So there's a definite tie-in to the two angels at Jesus' tomb asking Jesus' woman followers, uh, the angel who says this to the woman uh, from the Bible, so why do you look for the living among the dead? There are all these threads of resurrection between the dance music choreographer and the composer here in Like Lazarus Did. But there's one last resurrection that is associated with the piece, and it's kind of insane. Are you ready for it? I mean, I think I am. I want to know, like Matt does. Uh, see what you did there, Monica. <laughs> so, so here it is. Uh, the third performance of the dance was at this chapel, St. Paul's Chapel, and it's the oldest surviving church in Lower Manhattan. And the church is pretty famous because it's a place first where George Washington worship on his inauguration day in April 30th, 1789, but it's more well known in the 24th century by its nickname, the little chapel that stood. And why the nickname? So this chapel is located like right next to the Twin Towers. Literally right next to it. And miraculously, on 9-11 when the towers fell, the chapel had zero damage. None, no windows broken, no bricks destroyed, nothing. And so on that chaotic day, surrounded by debris from the Twin Towers, here was this little chapel that appeared like it was rising out of the ashes. And in that chapel, almost 12 years later, is where the third performance of Like Lazarus did occur. The third, just like how on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. Wow, that's crazy and really sticks with our theme. 
like the chapel was a phoenix rising to life triumphantly out of the ashes of the death of the Twin Towers, and that the third performance of Like Lazarus Did took place there must have been intentional in some way, given how soaked in resurrection themes the place really is. Yeah, and what, I couldn't find anything that confirmed that intention from Stephen or Sunlux, but it's uncanny the crossovers between the choice of performance space and the music for this third performance. This is Flickers. Thematic explorations of the good, the true, and the beautiful in music. I'm Monica Hauer. And I'm Matt Linder. We're continuing our thematic exploration of Sun Lux's music. And this week, our contributors are bringing us their resurrection choices. We've got Crispin Mayfield on flight, Chris Carnati on aquatic, and Blake Collier on alternate world. Jeremy set us up nicely at the end of the salvation theme because where we're starting is with Crispin yeah, so and flight. flight. I, first of all, I think it's one of the most impactful in terms of production, tricking your brain, because I, I was trying to figure out today what he does there. You know, it's a lot of times better to not pick things apart and just experience it. But I think he has like filters, resonating filters on the reverb um, that just really, you know, especially if you're listening with headphones, just kind of trips you out. Um, and there's just so much energy. It's just like there's so much like going on. And it's like this kind of, I mean, the title of the song is flight, but you get this sense of like, all right, like let's get up and go, you know, let's like, there's movement, there's energy. It's like when you're on a ride at Disneyland and like, it's going slow, but you kind of like hear the car shake and you know, it's about to like zoom, you know, that's how I think of this song. And it is, it's about being far away from the sirens reaching out for us. And so looking at that is I'm assuming uh, sirens in the in the Odyssey sense. Yeah, escaping basically um, into this this new life. So moving away from mistakes, moving away from vices that might tear us down, bring us down. And he asks this question, are we now what will be? Are we fixed or free? And that, like, that question really sums up, like, some of my biggest struggles thinking about my identity and my relationship with God. Because I've always had the sense throughout my life, and as we were just talking about being me being a sexual abuse survivor. So uh, Crispin is referring to an off-the-record conversation him and I had. Well, he doesn't get into all the details of his own sexual abuse. If that's something that's triggering for you, you might want to skip ahead one minute. Okay, I've back always, to Crispin. Not always, but since I was a kid, um, experienced a lot of shame. And I always felt like, does God really want me into heaven? And there's that phrase that we say, when Jesus, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. And that's uh, a simple way of explaining the substance 
substitutionary atonement. But as a kid or like a middle schooler, to me, that meant like Jesus, when God looks at you, like he wouldn't actually like you, but because like Jesus is covering for you, you're okay. It's like you get to slip in the back door. To me, it's like that when you showed up to a birthday party and you realize that the kid doesn't really want you there, his mom made him invite you. That's how I like thought of, of my relationship with God is like, Jesus got me in the door. Jesus got me in the door, but God doesn't really want me there. Cause if he really saw me, if he was really around me, he would be disgusted because of my sin. I bringing that back to the question, are we now, what will be, are we fixed or free? I've always wondered, like, so if I get into heaven, you know, and again, I think my theology is deeper now, but I'm just going with what I felt a lot of my life and kind of the emotional experience of being a, a kid and an adolescent. Well, if I change, like, am I truly me? Like, if I become this perfect person, is that really who I am? Or is, like, this part of me? And I think I identified so strongly with the, like, part of me that makes mistakes and sins and feels shame. That it's like, if that part of me dies or goes away or is removed by God, like, does God even really want me? And then it brings the, the question back to now is, like, so does God want me now? Am I loved? Am I liked? Or am I only liked because I could be this version of what I will be in the future? So this song, I think, really brings up a lot of those questions for me because it's this pause and it, you know, it's all this energy. And then he kind of takes the pauses, slows down and asks, are we now what will be? Are we fixed or free? And I think there are a lot of different ways that those words could go. But I think a lot of them relate back to like our sense of self and identity and like, are we who we always will be? Can we change? Um, Do we have free will? All of those things. He says, what a noise will make drowning out our mistakes we can't erase. And I really liked that idea. That resonated with me because it's not pretending like I'm perfect. It's not like, oh, like I'll just have never made mistakes. But it's like, yeah, we do have these mistakes, but we can drown it out with this noise. Um, So it's kind of holding both. It's like on the one hand, those mistakes don't define us, but it's not like we've never made them. There are also a lot of lines in the song that I'm like, I have no idea what he means, but (laughs) I think that goes for a lot of the, I think as you're listening in, I have this like connection between Sunlux and Me Without You, which is interesting because in a lot of ways they're very dissimilar or they, in a lot of ways they don't have very many similarities, but I feel like for both of them, there will be this line that you hook you that stands out to you and means a lot to you and you're not really thinking about the whole context of the song you're just like oh that one line is great and it just sticks in my head and I ruminate on it you know I also think about me without you 
and Sunlux because they're both, you know, have these religious Christian backgrounds, but have gone beyond that. And then also about the loud and the soft. I feel like they both do that of like a lot of energy and then breaking it down and then saying something significant and then getting loud again. But yeah, with this song, I just love the the sonic atmosphere of it. It just like really takes you in. And the beat is great. Just such a catchy beat. Just so energizing. And even if you listen to it on laptop speakers, it just translates in this way of like you just there's so it just makes you want to get up and, and go for a run. Yeah, I was thinking about that flute sort of synthesizer thing and it's really interesting because so much of the the song is there's a lot going on so especially when you just first hear the song because it just starts there's no intro right it just just like with a bang and you're like thrown into something and there are all these different uh, reverbs or different sound designers going on. You're like, I can't really tell what's going on. I can I can make out the words, but like what? I can't tell what instruments are there. And then that that little flute-like sound kind of like stands out. It's like this moment of clarity amidst a song where there's so much. Uh, it's almost chaotic, but not quite. It's like a buzzing sort of energy. <laughs> that is intense, complicated, and then, yeah, that piece just rings out in this really clear way. I don't know exactly what that means other than on a lyrical way, it really speaks to clarity and freedom, right? And even thinking about like the flute sound and the song titled Flight, it makes me think of a bird, right? That's like outside of its cage. There is a reference to Cage. Yeah, I think that really like evokes that that theme in a way of being without speaking too directly. It's interesting that the title itself is called Flight and it seems to give like this framework. He's saying this is what the song's about, but there's not a lot of references to flight in it, which I think is really masterful in a way. And it starts out that way talking about flight and then it kind of describes it. I think that's what a lot of people think of when they think of an afterlife, that there's an escape from this cage of bones, our bodies. Crispin really gets to how the music of flight evokes this feeling. Interestingly, with the remix of Flight, Sunlux retitled the song 
Cage of Bones, which takes on a very different sound quality. Instead of the freedom of flight, Cage of Bones feels like a heavy burden and oppressive. significantly different take on the song. For sure, this darker sound slides us right into another song that has a dark quality, Aquatic, and Chris's interpretation of that song based around the lyrics in the final portion of Aquatic. The final part of the song in the last two verses, perfect for talking about the theme of resurrection. So how will we be in that waking? How will we be in the womb? We may all begin Aquatic but we leave only dust from our bones. You won't find me where I fall. You won't find me where I fall. We may all begin aquatic, but we leave through the fire for our homes. I think that that's a very obvious and clear and pretty picture of uh, resurrection. I think that throughout the song, he's talking about birth, like this womb idea. These final two stanzas or final two verses. He's talking about a new, like a different kind of birth or like the, this end, end type of birth, especially in this final verse, like you won't find me where I fall. So I assume that he's talking about death. Uh, we may all begin aquatic or in the womb, in the fluid of our mother's womb, um, but we leave through the fire of our home. You won't find me where I fall. You won't find me where I fall. So this, this pyre imagery of, I don't know, I'm thinking of like at this point, like Greco-Roman mythos of um, like the life after life. Uh, also this like resurrection element of being brought into another life um, after death uh, or after this like this bright in between between death and another life. Again, ties to this uh, kind of like dark backdrop and like the light shimmer in the foreground or um, the, the brief glimpses of hope that we get throughout the album. I think that this is one of them that it like acknowledges the sadness of we only, we leave only dust from our bones. It, it chooses, uh, Ryan Lott chooses not to leave with that as the end of the song, which I think would be a very valid and uh, very valid artistic choice, but he goes to, you won't find me where I fall. We may all begin aquatic, but we leave through the fire for our homes. This idea of the amount of struggle and the amount of pain that is present throughout the album and throughout our world as the album reacts to our world. There's like this future home that he's talking about. 
think that that is a glimpse of hope for him. But yeah, it remains a glimpse that is not the it's not the dominant stroke throughout the album, which I think makes it all the more powerful. In two ways, reflects like being underwater. One that it's pulsing. Um, there's this just like very gentle piano, almost like creates this uh, relaxing or like warm surrounding to his voice. Uh, I think that also you get this kind of the second aspect. I think you get this kind of like muffled aspect to the background as well that you obviously get if you stick your head underwater. It's time to find a clearing to wrestle in the dark Then maze among the lights See the notes that emerge in the face I think in both of those ways, the pulsing and kind of the dampening get us into this mindset of yeah, being underwater, being aquatic or being in a womb, you know. Also, that pulsing aspect can be connected, I think, to like a mother's heartbeat or something like that. Just this constant, yeah, this constant pulse. Um, and I think that that also um, ties into this idea of home that he's talking about uh, at the very end of the song of finally like wrapped up in somewhere safe again or like close to yeah close to one's like mother yeah being um, drawn towards some sort of higher power that uh, keeps one safe um, and makes everything right you know and is fully protective Pulsating definitely feels embryonic and comforting. Similar to the type of musical sounds I play for my baby twins as they fall asleep at night. And that's one way in which to describe resurrection. But there's another path too. Let's hear how Blake sees resurrection in Alternate, Alternate World. World. Is off of my probably my favorite album, which is Lanterns. I think I picked Alternate World to speak about resurrection because when I listen to the song my my thoughts often go to things that are fantastical they're otherworldly and i get this sense especially with the uh what i what i feel like is a mandolin or something similar to it quick interruption this is for sure a mandolin and it's played by the greatest living mandolin player in the world, Chris Style. As Ryan told the 405, quote, One of my favorite moments was working with Chris Style, who is a musician of giant skill and acclaim. In the studio, while we were checking his mic levels, he was blowing through spontaneous improvisations on my older songs. It was just an insane moment for me. He actually recorded two tunes, but only one of them made it to the record, unquote. I'm guessing that tune was Alternate World? Yes. Yes, it was, but back to Blake. But there's almost an island quality to it. It's it's like there's an island of beauty that, is, that hasn't ever been seen by human eyes. 
And I just get the sense of being transported to, to a world that I, I don't know and that n- none of us have seen. We're not even sure we, we truly believe in a lot of times. I think the lyrics speak of an alternate being that we don't know yet, an alternate world, age, and life, as the lyrics say. find moments of the lyrics in the song fascinating because I think speaking about resurrection, they all speak to something about the crossover from this world into the next. Uh, within a trad- traditional Christian viewpoint, we we take as everlasting life. And so whenever he talks about shedding our skin and we'll walk the other side, we'll conquer everything, uh, we'll wake the dead from sleep. All these are sentiments of a resurrection and a world that God himself ushers in. And conquer everything. The, long, the song is light and airy, and the claps and the chorus almost have a celebratory edge to them. song is anticipatory it's it's hopeful it's it's kind of got its sights set on something beautiful that so beautiful that that we can't comprehend it right now the song ends with ryan lott and the chorus singing the the lyrics make what we believe don't we make what we can make what we can actually thinking about this and I had looked at a, a few kind of comments on genius and a few things like that and I, I found some of their their viewpoints fascinating because it's not exactly clear what he's meaning here make what we believe uh, 
don't we make what we can? But I think one of the the commenters on the song uh, had an interesting concept in the sense that we are to some extent what we believe. You know, the famous phrase, you are what you eat. In some sense, you could say that this repetition of this phrase is basically saying this this beautiful land, this beautiful place, this new life, this new age, it can only come to you if you believe that it will come to you. In a sense, that belief in a new world, in a better world, uh, one that doesn't have sadness and grief and pain and and violence and all that, that belief is the moving agent in bringing this alternate reality to us. And so because of our faith and our belief, if we want to take it in a more Christian kind of approach, is that faith and belief is what ushers us in to that new heaven and new earth that we read about and that we're promised. And yet every day we doubt. <laughs> Understandably so, because all we've ever known is uh, is this world. It's kind of like a Plato's cave. When the people are in the cave, all they know is shadows and darkness and, and shadows and light in the darkness. And when you're when you grow up and that you think that's your whole world, but then you wait for that person to come out and deliver you into the light and you realize that there's a world much bigger than much different than the one you knew your whole life. So I get the sense from the song that what Sunlux is getting at is this this transition from a world that we all know to the hope and the anticipation of a world that we believe in and a world that we don't fully comprehend or fully understand the beauty of it. I think it's an anticipatory and hopeful song that aches for the end of of brokenness and the end of sin. And so, yeah, I think it speaks very much to the nature of resurrection being changed and being moved from broken to healed, remade. I just get this sense of something like, you know, it speaks to something, a, a conglomeration of things that are too beautiful to comprehend. When I hear that music, I can't fully explain why it makes me happy or why it puts me in a good space or joyful space. But when I listen to it, my demeanor is always turned. To a place of joy. For that album, it's actually one of the more upbeat songs. And just to think why that was one of the, the first songs on the album is, is interesting when it becomes a little bit more dark as the album goes on. But I think it's it's he placed it there because it's so hopeful and the music rises. It beckons us to to hold on hold fast to that hope throughout the rest of the record and and in the life in general. And part two of Resurrection is beckoning you all to listen now. Check your feed for the episode. Shout out to this episode's contributors, Crispin Mayfield, Chris Carnati, and Blake Collier. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And then help spread the word by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Tell everyone and anyone you know who is a Sun Lux fan or even those who aren't quite yet. This episode was produced and edited by me, Matt Linder. Storyboarding and scripting assistance by Armani Peterson. And me, Monica Hauer. You don't have to be afraid You don't have to be afraid